really great being here this morning. I'm Joe Collins. Welcome to See Me Church. And, uh, you know, you never can predict what's going to happen, right? I mean, we've been doing this since uh, June, off and on, every other week, doing a tailgate service like this. And we've been, it's slowly been growing. More and more people are coming, which is really great. It's great to have just some in-person fellowship. Of course, I want to thank everyone for joining us at home. We love you and miss you, and we can't wait till we can all be together again one day soon. But I got to say, uh, it's been a challenging experience for me to do these services. I mean, look, if well, you can't see at home, but we have quite a setup here. Even though it's very pared down from what we would normally do, we do have a small soundboard. We have speakers. We have cables running everywhere. I have my laptop. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a production here. I want to thank those of you that come early, my son and his girlfriend, Kaylee, especially because they are here every morning setting up. Carlos Garcia is another one, and then there's a few others that help set up some of the chairs and the pop-ups and what have you. But, uh, you know, I was complaining a couple weeks ago to some friends about this experience because it's very awkward for me anyways. I'm sure it's awkward for you, but it's awkward for me to be speaking in this dynamic. It just feels so out of place for me. I'm so used to being inside and everything's kind of warm and comfortable and organized. And somebody mentioned to me, well, this is what it was like in Jesus's day. And it dawned on me that, you know what, they're right. This is what they had to deal with in Jesus's day. Uh, now, they were in the Middle East, so it was probably mostly hot most of the time. But I would imagine from time to time there was wind or there was uh, maybe a herd of camels that walked by or, or maybe cursing in the background. I mean, Jesus did tell a lot of stories about fishermen. He was around fishermen. I mean, I don't know what distractions they had. But uh, I think we, if they were able to deal with them, I think we can deal with them as well. And so a little bit of rain isn't going to hurt us. It's great to see so many people here. I'm so fired up. You came out and braved the dangerous weather of Southern California. Uh, but it is great to be together, and I'm really honored to have you here. So for most of 2020, series called One-on-One -on -One with Jesus. And the idea is to look at these individual interactions that Jesus had with different people in Scripture, and we see what we can apply to our lives. So last Sunday, we looked at a one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and a demon-possessed guy, and we learned that even after 2,000 years, Jesus is still in the business of saving people, and so should we. Today, we're going to look at two different one-on-ones that occurred basically simultaneously. The first was with a man named Jairus, Jairus and the second was with an unnamed woman. As always, the goal is to draw out something relevant to our faith and life today. So many of you know, or many of you are by now familiar with the joys, and I'm using that term loosely, the joys of doing work from home. We're all experiencing the joys of that. And one of those joys I'm sure that you are relating to that I know I've been relating to is that it's not as easy as it once sounded. I remember going to work and thinking, man, it would be great to work from home. And then you work from home and you're like, man, I miss my office. I think I would like to go to my office right now. There are so many distractions and interruptions that just happen in the course of a day when you're at home, aren't there? Well, today we're going to look at these two one-on-ones with Jesus that for anyone else, annoying distractions... But for Jesus, they were divine opportunities. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to read in verse, we're going to start reading in verse uh, 18. 
While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house, he saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes. He said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. They After the crowd had been put outside, he went in to the hand and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. You know, just like the past couple week lessons we've done, the past couple of one-on-ones we've done, this week's one-on-one is also recorded in three of the four Gospels. And like we did in the past couple of weeks, we're going to read all three accounts this morning. And we're beginning with Matthew's, which is, again, the shortest of the three and really highlights Jesus' authority over the living and the dead. In verses 18 and 19, while Jesus was speaking, he's interrupted by the synagogue leader who asked him to restore his daughter to life. In verses 20 to 22, Jesus agrees and on the way is interrupted again, a lot like working from home or going to school from home, by a nut by a by a who grabs the hem of his cloak in the hope that he will heal her, which he does. And then finally, in verses 23 to 25, he makes it to the synagogue leader's home and, and raises his daughter from the dead. In one continuous series of events, in one continuous series of interruptions, rather than being distracted or annoyed by them, Jesus does two pretty incredible things. I don't know about you, but when I get interrupted, I'm usually less productive. But somehow Jesus is more productive. He heals a woman of her affliction. He raises another from the dead. I mean, Jesus got more done in these two little interruptions than I've gotten done in an entire lifetime of no interruptions. That's the power and the authority greatness You know, sometimes I think we think Jesus thinks a little bit like us too much. What I mean is this. Most of us don't like getting interrupted. So we think Jesus doesn't like getting interrupted. But Jesus isn't us and he doesn't think like us. And in verse 18, it says that while while he was speaking, this synagogue ruler came and interrupted him. In verse 20, as he was on his way to go help the synagogue ruler out, another woman grabs the hem of his cloak and interrupts him again. In both cases, they interfered with what his plan was, with what he was trying to do that day. Yet rather than being annoyed, he was moved to action on their behalf. Because for Jesus, interruptions aren't these annoying distractions. They are divine opportunities to exercise his authority over the living and the dead. Let me ask you this question. How often do you pray? I mean, we don't have Jesus with us here physically, but we have him in spirit. And the way we can connect to him and speak to him and even interrupt him is in prayer. How often do Jesus with prayer. 
Now, I'm not talking about the prayer you may say on a regular basis in the morning or maybe one before you go to bed at night. I'm talking about random, irregular, atypical moments where you just stop and say, I need your attention, Jesus. Talk to me or let me tell you what's going on. How often do you do that? You know, if you really believed that Jesus is not annoyed by your interruption, but rather he sees them as divine opportunities to exercise his authority, I bet you would do it a whole lot more than you're doing it right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if we need to be doing it a whole lot more because we need his divine intervention, intervention right about now, don't we? Let's go to Luke's account. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told to give her something to eat, told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them to not tell anyone what had happened. So once again, Luke's account, and as we're going to see in a minute, Mark's account is significantly longer than and more detailed than Matthew's account. In verse 41, Luke says that the synagogue ruler's name was Jairus. I always think it's Jairus, but if you look closely, it's actually Jairus. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it's not Jairus. Verse 42, that his daughter was actually not dead, but in the process of dying. And in verse 50, after hearing that his daughter had finally died, Jesus said to him, don't be afraid, just believe. In verse 44, we see that the bleeding woman was healed the moment she touched Jesus's cloak. In verse 47, that she was afraid to come forward and admit what she had done. And in verse 48, that Jesus said to her, go in peace. Now, I don't know about you but I don't typically respond peaceably or faithfully when I'm afraid or when I get bad. Yet that's exactly how Jesus wanted these two people to respond. That's what the one-on-one -on -one was about with them. How should you respond to bad news or you become fearful or frightening news? You know, I am uh, have my degree in counseling, and I do counseling kind of on the side, not, nothing special, but I, I do some hours one day a week on the side. And sometimes when you do counseling, 
we call role playing. And I've done this even when I've done pastoral counseling with husbands and wives. And we kind of role play maybe a fight that they've had. And the purpose of the role play is to give people a chance to try it again in a controlled setting and be able to respond according to their better angels, to have a better response than they might have had normally when they're at home in the middle of the heated moment with their spouse. What I'd like to do right now is I would like to practice right here with all of us a little role play. And if you're at home, I want you to do it at home with the people that you're at home. But whoever you're near, I would like you to practice a role play. What I'm going to do, and I'm serious, I want us to do this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you some possibly frightening or uh, uh, faith-reducing statements. I need to practice a peaceable and faithful response to the person sitting near you or if you're at home to the person in your living room. Does that make sense? Okay. So here we go. First statement. You failed the final exam. Now, person next to you, what's the peaceable and faithful response to that frightening, terrible news? You failed the final exam. Go ahead. Take a minute. How would you respond? And if you're at home, same thing. Okay. That was an easy one. I introduced it. It was an easy, we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna get harder as we go here, but that was an easy one. So if you're at home and you had a response to that and you want, please write it in the chat. We'd love to see it. Kaylee's sitting next to me and she's going to, uh, she, she's able to read them out, whatever you type in the chat. But for someone here, maybe one or two people, maybe volunteer, if you wouldn't mind, just where you are, shout it out. What should, what's the peaceable and faithful response to that terrible news? You failed the final exam. No one? <laughs> uh, Mayan, way in the back. <laughs> now you can get a job doing something else. What else? It's supposed to be your response. The bad news is to you. Yes. Good thing it's not the last final exam. Or final test of life. Anyone else over here? No? Okay. Yes, right here. I'll nail it next time. There's always another chance. Yes. Who did? So uh, Ellie Taylor at home said it's not the end of the world. Thank you, Ellie, for that peaceable and faithful response. Okay, here we go. Next question. Next, next bit of bad news. Ready? Here we go. I just want to be friends. I just want to be friends. Go ahead, practice that for a minute. We've all heard it. Some of us might hear it again. <clears throat> if anybody at home wants to put in the chat, feel free. How would you peaceably and faithfully respond to that piece of terrible news? So my son, Kelly, uh, he offered up a response. So are we gonna split the bill then? <laughs> it's a good response. Anyone else want to volunteer a response? Maybe someone over here. Anybody? No, you guys never had that happen. Yes, Dean. Yeah, well, we're not going to go get the Manny and Petty anymore. Okay. 
Anyone else? How's, how do you respond to that, Katie? Well, God is protecting me from something. That's, that's a very faithful and peaceable response. Yes. All right. Yes, Stephanie. All good relationships start out as friends. That sounds like you've actually said that to someone else before. <laughs> okay, gay. It's your loss. Wow. That's faithful. I didn't feel very peaceable, but that is faithful. Wow. Again, if anyone at home wants to chime in, feel free. We'll, we'll check the chat. But here we go. Next one. Are you ready? I'm going to get more serious. We're going to get serious. I want a divorce. I want a divorce. Someone said, are you sure? Again, are we splitting the bill? Yeah. Anyone else? We get some bad news, don't we? It can be frightening. It can really hurt our faith. Here's another one. And again, I'm serious. I want you to practice it. Your test came back positive. Think about it for a minute. Well, to be clear, it's not going to be a good test and a positive result isn't. But your test came back positive. Think about it for a minute, guys. We are going to hear these things. Some of us have heard some of these already. We are going to hear these, things, aren't we? We're going to get news like this. The purpose of a role play, as I said at the beginning, is to prepare yourself now. What's the peaceable? What's the faithful response? That's what Jesus is calling us to do. That's what he called this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and this man, Jairus, whose daughter had just passed away. That's what he said to do. You be faithful and you be peaceable. That's how you respond. Two more. Ready? Here we go. And this might be the biggest of all. Biden won. <laughs> Trump won. I'm serious. I want you right now to practice that. Whichever one is the bad news to you, Biden won or Trump won, how are you going to respond? And I want you to practice it with the person sitting next to you or if you're at home with the person in your house. What is going to be your peaceable and faithful response? Go ahead. Two people at home chimed in and said, God is in control. Erica? There's always Canada. I heard somebody say, we'll get through this. We will get through this. Whatever that news is, that will come, and it will come. And it will come to every one of us in different ways. Respond with peace. Be at peace and be faithful. Was there another one? Who, who was that one? Deborah. Deborah at home said, Lord, help us. Yeah. Either way.
Here's the point. The next time, and there will be a next time, you hear some bad or frightening news. Remember the words of Jesus. Go in peace. Don't be afraid. Just think the world could use that message right about now. I think we could get that message out to the world if we, if we would bring these words with us. If they're in our hearts, if we have them, we can give them away. But we've got to have them. And I really believe these one-on-ones are here for us to learn from. And Jesus is very clear. This is how we respond when we get bad news. I can't think, even, even with an election coming up, I can't think of any much worse news than your daughter is dead. And yet Jesus said, just believe. I think, church, we have a big responsibility. We have, an, we have a responsibility that God has given us to be salt and light to the world. The world is going to panic when these things happen. That's typically what the world does. When people who do not have Jesus in their life, they panic. They do not act peaceably, and they do not respond in faith, but we do as Christians. I hope this little fun exercise taught you to be prepared and to respond in kind, the way Jesus would want you to respond the next time you get difficult, bad, scary, frightening news. And maybe you can be a voice to those around you who need to hear that too. Let's go to Mark's account, and we'll end by reading Mark's account. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touched his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came forward, fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith is healed. You go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came to the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what Jesus said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brothers of, in the When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why is this commotion? Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and went in and was. <clears throat> he took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this and told them to give her something. 
So Matthew emphasizes Jesus' authority over the living and the dead. Luke focuses on our response to bad news, how we should respond in difficult times. I really believe Mark here is pointing out the frailty of human intervention when what is needed is divine intervention. And make no mistake, we live in a world, this is a physical world. And there's a lot we can do as people. God has given us a lot of authority and power to act and act on the world around us. But make no mistake, it's not all the authority. There is a spiritual world. There is a spirit realm. And it does intersect with us. And, and what we do here does, does interplay with the spirit world. And in that world, we need the one who is ultimately in, a, in control, the authority over both. And that's Jesus Christ. He has the authority over both life and death. And I think Mark really is pointing that out. In verse 23, he says, the synagogue leader pleaded with Jesus, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed. There was nothing else anyone else could do. It was now Jesus he needed. In verse 26, it says that the bleeding woman had suffered a great deal under care of many doctors, spent all she had, and yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. There was nothing anyone could do for her. She had done everything she could. She expended all of her resources, and there was no answer. And both of these people in that moment, where did they go? They went to find Jesus. Because he's the one who has authority over the living and the dead. That's why they interrupted him. There was just nothing anyone else could do at that point. And so they just came to him. I have, uh, <laughs> I have three dogs. And a uh, little bit of a gross story here. But, uh, you know, dogs are funny because they're fun, but they get in trouble. And what do they do? They run to you. In some ways, they're like little, little children. And I have this one dog, big dog. And I was out in the backyard and she just came running to me in, in total fear and panic. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then I noticed that on her backside, there was something stuck that was bought. It was poking her on the backside. Somehow she had gotten something stuck on her and it was hurting. And what was she doing? Well, she was running around and trying to give it to me. Like, take this off, take this off. I need your help. So I was able to take it off and she went away happy. You know, there's times in this world where there's nothing we're going to do. There's no earthly answer. There's no earthly intervention. There's no human intervention to anything that, that's going to solve any issue that, that uh, the issue that you're facing. And that's when we go to God. I think almost universal. We go to God. But shouldn't we go more often than that? I mean, if we really believed he was that in control and had that much authority, shouldn't going to God be the normal thing we do? It is so hard, isn't it? You know, I hope what you take away from this, because it's something that really stood out to me, was that, you know, when we find ourselves in situations, whether they're that dramatic or whether they're more mundane, I think that if we try to go talk to each other, we, sometimes we go to each other, we go to other people. I think for the most part, uh, at some point, I think we all get sort of annoyed with being interrupted and we all sort of feel like maybe I shouldn't interrupt someone. And so we kind of stuff it, we keep it to ourselves. But the good news is Jesus never gets bothered by the interruption. He's always available for you. 
No matter what it is, big or small, he is there for you and I, and he's willing to be interrupted because interruptions aren't annoying. They are divine. There are opportunities for him to exercise his authority over the living and the dead. I hope you leave here today and you're reminded of how important it is to go to Jesus. To make that trip a normal part of your everyday life. It should be more routine, more commonplace, not less. It shouldn't be only when we're in trouble. It should be all the time. And the, the assurance we have is that when we do, he's happy to engage us. He's happy to entertain us. And whether you realize it or not, he's willing to exercise his authority over the living and the dead. All you need to do is ask. Father, it is so great to come here this morning and to worship you at home and here in person. We thank you for the interruptions that happen in our life because they're opportunities to remind us that you always turn them into something special. I pray, God, as we go forward, that we take the lessons away from this, these two one-on-ones, that you are always available, you're always willing to act, that you have the power to uh, 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 act over the living and the dead, that you have that authority, and that we can put our trust and faith in you. Help us, Father, as we go forward, and we face our own trials that come our way, that we will always remember your words to these two people, Go in peace. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Thank you for being our God and for loving us that much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Been holding on for too long, singing the same, those the same songs, putting me behind the misery. It's all for me. Been holding on for too long But now I've got nothing to hold on